when we talk to adults who struggle with addiction, nine out of 10 of them will tell you that they started using before the age of 18. So that lets us know those teenage years are absolutely critical. Not my kid prevention specialist Tomas Barraza has the unique perspective of being a parent, person in long-term recovery, and a veteran of the prevention field. Not My Kid CEO Kristen Poland shares that same perspective. There are guests on this episode of Win This Year. Drugs and alcohol. Bullying. Unhealthy relationships. Depression. Internet safety. Substance use. Body image. Self-injury. Suicide. Anxiety. Social media. Kids. Pre-teens. Parenting. Middle school. High school. Adolescents. Teens. Coping skills. Self-care. Relationships. Strategies. Life skills. Prevention. Solutions. Help. Hope. Leadership. Insight. Information. Inspiration. You're listening to Win This Year, the official podcast of Not My Kid, a prevention nonprofit focused on inspiring positive life choices by helping kids, parents, families, and those who work with youth. Informative, interesting, inspiring. Win This Year. Welcome to Win This Year, Season 1, Episode 3. I'm Shane Watson, Public Information Officer and Prevention Specialist for Not My Kid. Today's episode is six substance use prevention tips for preteens and teens. Parents, grandparents, guardians, anybody that works with preteens and teens, you are not going to want to miss this episode. And we will be joined by Not My Kid CEO, Kristen Polin, and Not My Kid Prevention Specialist, Tomas Barraza. Win This Year is brought to you by First Check. First Check home drug tests help you protect loved ones from the risks of drug abuse. First Check is the number one pharmacist-recommended brand. It detects up to 14 illicit and prescription drugs and provides over 99% accurate, easy-to-read results in just five minutes, all in the privacy of your home. Go to firstcheckfamily.com and use code WINTHISYEAR to save on your order. We are joined now by Not My Kid CEO Kristen Polin and Not My Kid Prevention Specialist Tomas Barraza. I will actually let them introduce themselves a little bit, and then we will get into the heart of today's content. Kristen. Okay, thanks for having me on. I'm really excited about this one this year podcast. I'm Kristen Poland, the CEO of Not My Kid, seeing this podcast come to life so we can communicate to parents on a new medium is so exhilarating for me. I know parents are busy. I know parents need resources. They need guidance. They need inspiration. So that's something I'm really committed to doing through the podcast. And I'm really excited for you, Shane, and you're doing a great job. Thank you so much. And you've been in the field of prevention for quite a while. How long exactly? Over 20 years. Uh, behavioral health has been um, my passion since getting out of school, what put me into school studying health promotion and uh, addictive disorders was really my own journey. So um, I do have a passion for um, helping people before they cross the tipping point. And um, if they do cross the tipping point, how can we guide them back? So uh, personally in recovery, um, have a strong network of people that are in recovery. And uh, what I find extreme comfort in inside the organization is all the people that are also in recovery and get what it's like to, to be um, on a journey of health and wellness. 
we understand that. And that makes us such a big difference. If you can connect with a young person and say, I didn't just read about this in a book somewhere. I lived through this. Mm-hmm. There's that instant level of rapport and understanding. There and, then, is. and then you've got that uh, another connection to this in that you're a parent as well. Hmm. I am. And I, I think it's been quite humbling. I, I share this a lot with parents that I had it really dialed in when I was in my young 20s to tell parents exactly what they needed to do until I had my own children. And really, for me, what, what has happened is I've been on this journey of all the, the, the challenges of what it's like to have a five-year-old, even further back, a baby. Um, and now I have a 14-year-old and a 16-year-old. And humbling is a good way to describe it. I thought I knew everything there was to know until I had a teenager. I was an expert in parenting until I had a child. Yep. And you are right in the heart of it. 14 and 16, you are right in the center of it right now. Am I ever? And I I think, um, you know, I'm going to go back to that word humbling again. It's sometimes a lonely time because you think you're the only one going through the struggle of your child separating from you, which is actually very normal and healthy and they need to be doing that, and they're making mistakes. So I'm on the journey of guiding them through making mistakes and learning from them, bouncing back, how to overcome adversity. So I I know that's the format of where we're headed in this discussion today. Uh, As the CEO of Not My Kid, I'm right there with everybody else. And I really want the parents listening to hear that and to understand that you are not alone. Mm -hmm. Those of us who work in the field We go through these same experiences. No one has this completely figured out. So if you are going through a behavioral health challenge with your child, you are in good company. Speaking of good company, Tomas Baraz, I'm going to let you introduce yourself as well. Yeah. So uh, again, just been with the organization and it's been an absolute pleasure uh, to be a part of something that uh, is is so fulfilling. Uh, Like a lot of us on the team, I've got my own past that uh, has to do with some pretty unhealthy decisions that I made. Uh, The reasons why, you know, might be a lot of the same reasons why others. Uh, It it was the struggle. It was finding connection. It was dealing with uh, some really uncomfortable moments in my life, you know. But uh, being able to kind of come full circle, you know, it, it makes everything that I had done before, the mess of my life, I can use that as a message to others on why they want to stay on the right track for their life and and win where their feet are at, win this year. And you have used that experience. You're now over 1,000 speaking engagements. Yeah. In the last, how many years have you been doing this? Uh, It's been, I've been a part of the organization for five years now. So yeah, just a just over a thousand. Wild to think about. Wow. Yeah. And Tomas is not going to tell you himself, so I'm going to tell you he is an absolute rock star facilitator, presenter, <laughs> connects with youth. He and Taylor, who you heard in episode two sharing his story of recovery, probably the two people that I've met who can resonate with a youth audience better than anyone. And I've seen a lot of people who can connect with kids and connect well. But the two of you are up in your own tier up there as well. Mm-hmm. And you're a dad. I am. I am. It's, it's, it's a privilege. It really is. Uh, I get to do life uh, side by side with this little guy. And uh, I am absolutely proud of that. Uh, he's 12 years old now. And man, has it been a journey. Uh, just mm-hmm. like was mentioned, like feeling some of that, man, 
he doesn't want to dance with me the way that he used to, you know, like he's too cool or, or am I not cool anymore? It, it comes up so often and I'm reminded time and time again as I'm out with with other people's kiddos that uh, to them, I'm this cool guy. But to my son, I'm dad. Absolutely. You know, and so it's humbling. It definitely is. And it's, it's challenging and I love it. And also, it's just a great reminder for me as well uh, to be on the journey with him of growth. You know, it's it's new ground for all of us. Kristen is in the middle of it. You are in, on the on-ramp right now at 12 <laughs> years old. I have a six-and-a-half-year-old. I've got a, the a little bit of time. But <laughs> based on what we're about to talk about today, not as much time as many parents would think I would have with a six-and-a-half-year-old. So today's content is going to be based around actually uh, content created by a Not My Kids staff member who is not here today, our Chief Programs Officer, Gerardo Montano, who you heard uh, in Episode 1 giving tips about suicide prevention. She has also, like Kristen, been in the field for nearly two decades. And about two years ago, Huffington Post interviewed her and said, if you were to take everything that you've learned in your nearly two decades of substance use prevention and narrow it down for parents to a half dozen prevention tips, what would those be? And that's going to be the heart of our content today. By the way, we will paste the link to the article in the um, show notes so you'll be able to see the article in full. And we will also copy and paste everything we're going to be talking about, the six tips in the show notes as well. Starting us out, number one. Start talking to your kids when they are young. Now, I mentioned a few minutes ago that I have a six and a half year old. Parents, you may be surprised how early on your kids have already heard something from peers at school, from pop culture, from social media about drugs and alcohol. You may be shocked at what an eight, nine, or 10 year old already knows. Now, with our six and a half year old, we started at age two and a half. Now, two and a half is a little early to be talking directly about drugs and alcohol. Not age appropriate, but what we did start doing at age two and a half is having conversations about making healthy choices, putting healthy things in your body. We've continued that to six and a half. And when it is age appropriate, and then we'll probably start around eight years old, nine years old to be truly preventative directly about drugs and alcohol, because we've always had these types of conversations, she's more likely to respond to it with, well, yeah, we've kind of always talked about this stuff. Whereas if you wait, parents, if you wait till you got a high school junior or senior, and you start having the conversation then, it's going to take more work, it's going to take more effort, and you may get more of a response of, why are we talking about drugs and alcohol? Am I in trouble? This is weird. Did something happen? What would you like to add to this point of start talking when they are young? Well, one of the things that I just want to throw in there is that uh, I strongly believe, yes, that there's there's important times in a child's life when you have to talk about good medicine, bad medicine, healthy behavior. A lot of times I would always be very intentional when I would give them even Tylenol, that, you know, just that idea of the even a self-medicated pattern of kids early on, that if I give you something, you're going to feel better. It, it really is just educating about medicine because kids are getting very conflicted information today about what actually is medicine in this day and age with marijuana um, being plugged as medicinal. I think, you know, I, I've really been setting the record straight with them on the good and the bad and the things that, that could hurt them. The other thing that I wanted to share is that I feel like every um, child is learning information on the school bus if you are not educating them. They're hearing about it on the school bus, on the playground, and on their phones. So the earlier you're giving them uh, access to mainstream media, they're going to buy into everything that they're hearing. So 
the earlier, the better, the more comfortable the conversation. I'm just going to validate um, as young as two. It's 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 a good idea. Yeah, absolutely. As culture sets the foundation, we got to be amongst that foundation, you know, because the culture is not always going to going to match up with what we, the conversations we may be having at home are. You know, they're, the movies, they're, they're meant to grab people's attention. Uh, songs are meant to do the same. And, uh, and with that, it, it's going to have some, some messages on there that just don't, they, they conflict. They conflict with, with what we want our young people, our kiddos, our children to really believe is the healthy way of living. So as early as we can start having those conversations and even diving into what, is, what does that really even mean, you know, uh, in an age appropriate way, that makes it much more easier on the back end as they are preteens and teens as well. You both mentioned social media and pop culture. If we're not having a conversation with them, I guarantee you somebody else is, whether it's an advertiser, it's a celebrity, it's pop culture, whatever it is, they're going to have these conversations with someone better that they have them with us as parents who have their best interests in mind than maybe somebody that's trying to push a product. Somebody's trying to get something brought into social favor, you know, or a celebrity that's, you know, like, as you mentioned, Tomas, what are their lyrics saying and things like that. And so we need to have those conversations and to be truly preventative the average age in the United States when kids begin experimenting with drugs and or alcohol is 12 years old. Mm-hmm. To be on the truly preventative end of that, you need to be ahead of that. You need to be in there at age 11, age, age 10, age 9. I don't think 8 or 9 is inappropriate. Oh. I don't think that's too early to be very direct about drugs and alcohol. Oh, yeah. It, it, it's definitely time by the time you're 8 or 9. Um, we, we put out there in our education programs that a kid – is going to see 100,000 alcohol ads by the time they reach age of 18 just by watching football and mainstream TV um, when they're watching on television. But our today's kids are not sitting around watching cable. They are streaming on YouTube. They're looking at their social media feeds. I know a lot of times when I've done welfare checks with my children on their Instagram accounts, I can't believe the amount of alcohol ads that were popping up on their screen, vaping ads, and it really is all associated with what they're subscribed to. So if they love um, some of the more popular YouTube clips like Ball is Life, if they just hit like just for one of those, they're gonna start to see the ads that come along with it. So they are seeing it eight and nine, I think is spot on to really pick up the pace and, and get those conversations as a regular conversation around the dinner table. Yeah, and it's enticing. Those ads, I mean, they're they're totally things that are like, man, they're having fun. Having fun. Everything's oh, that's perfect. What it means to to be on the beach on vacation. There's no downside to this no. at all. They will never show you have never seen a beer ad with someone hugging a toilet, that's wiping right. vomit off their face, saying, I'm no. never gonna do this again. You've never seen that beer ad. Exactly. Like you said, Tomas, it's attractive young people on the beach mm-hmm. playing volleyball. Always. We need to be clear that there is a downside to alcohol. There is certainly a downside to drugs because they're not going to be shown that side of it in media. Mm-hmm. Kristen, you mentioned conversations around the dinner table. Mm-hmm. As far as starting to talk when they're young, have regular family dinners. Columbia University's Center for Addiction and Substance Abuse does an annual study on the importance of regular family dinners, at least four days a week, preferably five or more, where the phones are put away, the devices are turned off, and we're actually actively engaging with one another. And they have found that those regular family dinners can make a tremendous difference in reducing teen substance use. I find it really interesting when I'm out you know, teaching life skills at some of the, the local high schools here around town, 
how often when I ask the question, how many of you all still have regular meals together as a family? Or it, it might not be dinner. It might be some other time where you just actually just kind of sit down and, you know, for no real agenda, just have some deep conversations about things. And I tell you, less than half of the well, less than half of the room I believe raised their hand, you know. And so when I, as I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking of how uh, just just casually or, or organically a lot of the conversations that we've had at home between my son and my wife and I have come just organically of talking about how the day has gone and something that we heard throughout the day. And so that helps us to continue to lay the foundation and we continue to water that foundation. So it, it, it's jam packed down uh, so that he, it's just ingrained in, in his everyday uh, that's just how we do life, you know? The earlier you implement that, the more normal it becomes. Absolutely. The earlier that you can start something, it's just like, well, this is what we've always done. Mm -hmm. And if you can't have those regular one-hour activities or you can't have dinners, maybe you recognize you got a two-, three-week period where you're not going to have that time. If you identify, hey, man, the only time we're going to have to have a conversation is a 15-minute car ride to and from school or to and from sports practice – Seize that moment, maybe make that car ride a car ride where the phones are put away. If you haven't done it before, you might get a little pushback. I got to put my phone away. Right. Stick with it. It can pay off because that might be your one conversation window for the next month, especially with a busy extracurricular schedule, et cetera. Yeah. A couple of years ago, I think one of the things I realized just with um, the amount of travel I was doing for sports with my kids is that their first inclination when they got in the car was to start doing their Snapchat uh, streaks right away to catch up. And they were very, very focused on that. And when I had to set the the limit there that this is time for us, you know, and I, I wouldn't grill them with a hundred questions, but I found that a lot of times when I would just stay silent and let them start talking that the motor mouths began and it, it was the best of times is in the car. So I, I'm kind of grieving a little bit of that as my six year old is now on his own journey driving himself that I'm missing that car time with him. So dinner is becoming a priority that we come back or breakfast. And I know a lot of times that that's a great way I have found to just start the day right is that even if it's for 15 minutes where we're all connecting and just getting ready for the day and talking about the day, not creating anxiety about the day, but just knowing that at home we're, we're making that connection before they leave. It's been a, it's been good. Yeah, that's been that's been incredible. I would say as well, just uh, having that 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 solid, you know, it, whether it's on the the front half of the day mm-hmm. in the morning or even on the back end, just having that time together. There's definitely going to be pushback if if they're not used to it. It's new. Oh my goodness, though, th- when we stick to that, they start to realize how important that that genuine connection really is instead of just being on their phones all day uh, with that electronic connection. It's uncomfortable at first because it's a change because it's not that instant dopamine hit Mm -hmm. of the social media and the constant novelty and the constant change, the alerts, the sounds. It can't produce that same dopamine hit immediately. But as you mentioned, as you stick with it over time, they begin, you begin regulating or they begin self-regulating their device use a little bit more. They can find, wow, there's actually something more fulfilling here than I was getting from these quick little dopamine hits. Mm -hmm. And um, one more thing before we move on to the next one, Um, in addition to having those conversations at dinner or in the vehicle or whatever, start asking them two questions every day to begin the conversation in a non-confrontational way. What was your favorite thing about today? What was your least favorite thing about today? 
we, we started this again at two and a half with our daughter who's now six and a half. And when she's pulling up the chair for dinner, she's already answering two questions nobody's even asked. We've stuck with this for so long. She's not even waiting to be asked these questions. She's pulling her chair up and she's like, I'll tell you what I think about today. That's awesome. <laughs> and so it's just the more you can stick with this, the more normal it's going to become. But one thing I will say about asking these two questions, and it ties into something you mentioned a moment ago about not hitting your sons with the barrage of, mm -hmm. of questions the moment they get in the car – Paola and I talked about that in episode one. It's great that we want to talk to them, but I have lost count of how many students have told me. It's cool that my parents are asking me how I'm doing or asking me how my day was or whatever. I need like 10, 15 minutes when I get in the car or 10, 15 minutes when I walk in the door. I just need some time to decompress. Ask them the questions. Have those conversations. But like Kristen said – Give them that silent time to kind of decompress for a while. And sometimes that silence is going to be more of an invitation for them to talk than any questions that we could ask them. Absolutely. And I, I'm, I'm buying into the idea, too, that the intensity that our kids are experiencing at school and the homework load and, and just this battle that they have with themselves to perform at these intense levels. I don't know where all this is coming from, but um, for me that decompression time is huge after school and some kids aren't getting it they're they're coming home and they're they're going right into their books right into practices and you know i really feel strongly about they need a little bit of self-care time like we're talking about with adults they got to take a break mm -hmm. they never catch one with these phones too if there's a question that i can even add to that uh, the the high the low what what's something good that happened today what's something that that wasn't so good but then also asking what what they're grateful for, something that they're thankful for. I Definitely. Like in in a moment of, you know, of, of feeling anxious, when we can find something that we're grateful for, that anxiety can't live in that moment with, mm. with gratitude. You're focusing on the solution at that point. You're, I love you're that. not because the more sometimes the more you stare at the problem, you feed the monster and the bigger it becomes and the more overwhelming it becomes. And sometimes you need to redirect that focus to gratitude, to something that's positive. We started that with our daughter as well, and she now it's it's innate now. It's not something we're having to solicit from her. She volunteers on the regular. Here's what some, something I'm so thankful for, just out of the blue. We're not even having a conversation about gratitude at that point, but it's now become such a standard thing for her. Love it. Number two, set firm rules and expectations about drugs. Parental disapproval is a huge factor in preventing substance abuse. A lot of times we as parents assume – Oh, no, no. She knows how I feel about that. Or no, he knows the rules. Better that we sit down and we have that conversation one more time and take even one minute, maybe five minutes, maybe 10, and be deliberate and be clear than to assume and have there be any misunderstanding, which increases the likelihood that they're going to use. Yeah. And, you know, even adding on top of that, if there is uh, if there is a if alcoholism or drug addiction or or something like that runs through the family, even being able to share that with them, like, hey, this is this is our reason of of why we need to make this a point because that that being something that does run through our blood, it's important that you understand that you are at higher risk for dipping into something like addiction because of because of that. And so, um, having that conversation with with our kids as well as even with more of our family members to help share what our foundations that we're laying with, with, with our children is as well, I think is equally as important too. Um, I share that for a big reason. For me personally, the first time that I had ever drank, I was 12 years old. 
It's wild to think my son is 12 years old. And that was the first time that I had taken a drink of alcohol. And it was with the approval of a family member of mine, you know, someone in my family who absolutely loves and cares about me. And this person was thinking that, hey, I w- I'm going to I'm, I'm doing something good because I am teaching my loved one what their tolerance is before they go out into the world. So I'm teaching them this in a safe space. So once they go out into the world, they're they're not caught by caught off guard by it all, right? And I think this person, along with a lot of other adults, had great intentions in mind, but they don't understand the dangers behind offering a teen, or in my case, a preteen, a drink of alcohol. It's showing approval. It's making them think, oh, so you're okay with this. Oh my goodness. See, before that. In my mind, I'm like, oh, yeah, I definitely know that I should probably stay away. I'm seeing these ads and they're all fun and, and if they, they seem really, really cool and whatnot. Uh, but, man, I know because of people that I've seen in my life, that's probably something I should stay away. And so I, I was scared of it. Yet with having that approval and having that that supervision, if you will, you know, knowing that it, I wasn't going to, to be totally harmed. Well, all of that wa- wiped away, washed away all of the fear that I did have of it and so what happened instead was I felt a little bit more comfortable the second time that I did it this time it wasn't with any permission it wasn't with any supervision and so what happened in that moment was similar to the first time where nothing crazy happened it wasn't like I I got totally drunk it wasn't like I was throwing up and like you said hugging the toilet bowl so what happened instead was I felt just a little bit more comfortable and I continued with doing that time and time again until all of a sudden, at the moment, I wouldn't have, uh, throughout my, my teenage years in high school, I wouldn't have deemed it as I had an alcohol addiction. But man, it was something that now in hindsight, looking back to it, there was something seriously wrong with, with how I continued to be drinking so freely and like if it wasn't a big deal whatsoever. And that was the same for me when there wasn't an instant disaster that I could notice the first time I used alcohol, the first time I used marijuana, the first time I used misused prescription pills. I began to convince myself I'm getting away with this. Sometimes the worst thing that can happen the first time that a young person uses something is nothing or that they think nothing's occurred because they can't see that consequence. They don't know they're affecting their brain chemistry or physiology. And that's wild. This ties in so directly to the setting these clear expectations. Mm that adult essentially opened that door for you. You were not even necessarily heading in that direction, but with that approval from someone you looked up to, mm-hmm. oh, so this is okay. And that's that ties in what you said about providing it for you or I'm going to provide a safe environment, quote unquote, safe environment for you to do this in. That ties in directly to a conversation we're going to be having here on a, an upcoming show uh, from a local legal professional about parents hosting parties at their house, providing alcohols for minors, with the idea of, you know, I want to keep it safe for them. And I understand, like you said, I understand where that's coming from. I understand the intention behind it. Mm-hmm. But the way the execution actually works and the way the results actually work, that comes across to young people as a blanket approval. Like you said, the second time you were by yourself and you were like, hey, I've already been shown that this is okay for me. Kristen, what are your thoughts on this about clear disapproval? Yeah, I, I've been very vocal with my kids before they go out. Um, and, and I think that there's been environments that are a little bit out of my control. Like I can't follow and hover and, you know, creep and look over the wall at some of the homes. But, you know, I've faced some of these struggles where there have been parents out there that have thought it's okay to serve alcohol, collect the keys 
And um, they didn't ask my opinion or my permission. And I have some really strong feelings about that. I know party buses are a, a big a big thing in high school. Um, and nothing ever good has ever come out of a single outing on those, as far as I'm concerned. Something always happens. The trip always ends earlier. Um, and I, I have been adamant with my kids about their out. Um, they have to be prepared to be offered, even in the most uncomfortable of situations, even if it's a you know, pretty and popular person that's putting it in front of you. You got to know your why and you got to have your out. And that is something that is also why I participate in regular drug testing for my kids so they can blame me for that out. Um, I can't. My mom drug tests me. Mom's crazy. Yep. <laughs> my mom is crazy. So and be I, it. If it I, keeps I am, them safe. Um, I'm crazy protective of them. Um, I know that uh, being popular is important and they think everybody's doing it, quote unquote, but I have to set the reality for them. Not everybody's doing Absolutely it. Absolutely not. I remember kids in high school. I was convinced at the time that literally mm -hmm. everyone was doing it. Mm -hmm. I look back and I look at the people that were thriving, the people that weren't getting in trouble, the people that set themselves up for a future that I should have had based on how my abilities with academics. Mm -hmm. And... They weren't doing it. There's plenty of people that aren't, but if they're staring at, at it on their social media feeds all day long, if that's who they're following, if that's the pop culture they're looking at, the celebrities they're looking at, or the peers that they're seeing in the bathrooms at school, jeweling or whatever, mm -hmm. it becomes so easy to believe that you're going to be the only not one not doing it, and right. it's not true. Everybody's vaping, Mom. You know, like that literally was their belief when it really wasn't true, but... Um, that's how we got to a place of an epidemic because everybody started to believe that this is what everybody's doing, so I must have to do it too. And when you talk about having them equipped with their out in advance, don't wait until they're offered something. Parents, mm -hmm. it's not a matter of if your kids, your teens are going to be offered something. It's a matter of when. Don't let them wait until they are in that moment to decide, number one, are they going to say no? Number two, why? If they haven't game planned it, if they haven't role played it, if haven't they haven't drilled through it in their mind, walked through it, visualized it, they're more likely to freeze up and to go into autopilot and go, yeah, I'll do that with you. Whereas if they have a well-prepped, well-rehearsed answer, they're more likely to use that. And this, this ties in directly to number three here. Number three is understand the teenage brain. Know that they are physiologically wired to be impulsive and take risks. When a kid is in early elementary years, neither the uh, pleasure-seeking portion of the brain nor the logic-driven portion have matured. When they get into the middle school and the high school years, the pleasure-seeking portion is starting to mature, starting to come online, but the logic-driven portion isn't done developing until 21 to 25 years of age. What would yeah. you like to add to this? I'll never forget the first time I was offered marijuana and I had no out, no plan. And I remember being in a car with a bunch of older people in the back seat, marrow, a, a joint, which no one smokes anymore, but um, a joint getting passed around and everybody just looking at me. And I, I had the per conflict for about five seconds and thought I had to do this to be accepted. And what do you know? When when that, that pleasure-seeking experience happened for me um, and I got comfortable in my own skin, something very different happened to me. And, and that's what set off the journey of realizing, oh, that's how I'm going to socialize and be more comfortable with myself. Absolutely. And um, if I could play that back, you know, of oh, wow. how things would be different. And I, I think a lot of people do that. Um, you know, that first experience uh, really defined a whole journey uh, of, of lifelong lessons. And 
So if I can equip my kids with that first time experience, you know, what, what are you going to do in that moment? Despite, you know, the need to have to feel like you got to fit in. It's a big conversation to have. And that's what happened with me the first time, you know, the first time I used a a number of different substances, my thought was, oh, I found the solution. Mm -hmm. This is the answer. Cause I was never comfortable in my own skin. And I, I thought the same thing that you did. Oh, this is it. Mm -hmm. Now I've got it. Not knowing that not only had I not found the solution, I have had opened the door to a problem beyond anything I could ever comprehend, which would take me down a 20 year path and with a felony, with incarceration, with, you know, nearly losing my life. Like you said, many of us replay that in our mind and we think, what if I had done something differently that first time? That's why we want to equip our kids to be able to do that. What do you think about this? Understanding the teenage brain, Tomas. Oh, there's something to be said about the teenage brain. I mean, we look, I love being able to quote two statistics to students, one of them being uh, it, when a teen drinks before the age of 15, they're five times more likely to struggle with addiction. And the other end being that if, when we talk to adults who struggle with addiction, nine out of 10 of them will tell you that they started using before the age of 18 so that lets us know those teenage years are absolutely critical you know and when when we can help them understand so whether it be through uh, conversations at home uh, we like to have those conversations at school through life skills and and through our amplify presentations and even with our early intervention program of program of project rewind you know for those who might have already started experimenting asking them okay what what is it that you like about whatever particular substance that you're Definitely. using and how can you get that in a a less risky way in a way where you can still allow your brain to fully develop and so that you can still so if it's someone that likes the lows uh then doing things that is going to give them those those uh those low feelings uh i love how geronda had mentioned in the article yoga or running meditation's another good one absolutely and if there's some of those people that like the highs of you know some some other type of substances then what are the, the ways that they can get the thrill that dopamine release, oh, that abs- adrenaline rush. Absolutely. That's what's really important is to just h- kind of highlight you can get those same things in natural ways. And when you start doing that, you set yourself up for for more success and to be less likely, not that you won't ever fall into addiction if you started as an adult, but you'll be less likely Much less to. likely. Age yeah. of onset is one of the biggest determining factors. You mentioned genetics earlier. That may be the biggest determining factor. Mm-hmm. If addiction or alcoholism runs in your genetics, that it greatly increases the likelihood. I believe it doubles the likelihood that, that you will go down that path if you begin drinking or using. Another huge determining factor is that age of onset. The earlier that first use, the higher the likelihood they will go down that path of addiction. The later into adulthood we can delay that first use, the better the odds are that they will have a positive outcome. And you mentioned yoga and meditation. You mentioned things like on the other end of the spectrum, whether it's martial arts, extreme sports, skateboarding. Parents, when your child, if you find out your teen is drinking or using, ask them why. Mm-hmm. Seek to understand the motivation because that motivation is going to begin to point you in the direction of a solution. As you said, find out what their substance of choice is and why. If they're on that end of the spectrum or they're using things like alcohol or marijuana or opioid medication or things like Xanax or Ativan or Valium or Clonopin to bring themselves down, they can benefit from the things you talked about like yoga or meditation. On the mm-hmm. other end of the spectrum, 
If their drug of choice is a stimulant like nicotine, cocaine, methamphetamine, if they're abusing Adderall that they're not prescribed, they're getting some other kid's prescription, they like that rush, they can benefit from things like martial arts, extreme sports, skateboarding, et cetera. Mm -hmm. There was a community in Iceland that had really high teen substance use rates. And they took a look at their situation. They said, what is going on here? And they sat down with the youth in their community and they asked, why are you using what you're using? And they found out what they were getting out of it and they replaced those things. They provided activities in the community to try to mimic those feelings. They drastically reduced those substance use rates. And I'll actually paste in the in the um, body of the of the show notes. We'll have a link, at least one link, if not a couple, to some articles on those studies as well. Find out what they're seeking. Some kids are looking to get a buzz or getting a rush. We meet a lot of kids that are using to get away from a feeling. They're medicating self self uh, they're self medicating anxiety, depression, and or stress. Hundred mm-hmm. percent. I think the why is everything when a kid is turning to something to change the way they feel, and there's a lot going on for teens. They're they're under a lot of pressure. Their anxiety, I think, is a real thing today, and stress, and where that's coming from, and the root of it. We really have to understand better what their why is behind it. I think that to, to even shape that conversation of getting the why, mm-hmm. um, I know that if I'm in the heat of the moment and I'm having that, that conversation with my son, when I'm asking him why, it's not going to come out the way that I, that I want it to. Right. It, it's going it's gonna to shut him down based off of the tone of my voice or more so even my body language. So even giving us a moment for as parents to take a break before coming to having that genuine conversation of being curious why. Not from a, I'm going to drop the hammer on you now that I know, but more so like, okay, I understand that. And what would be some other ways that we can get those things? What, what, what are some other ways that you can benefit from those feelings, but still keep your brain, your body healthy, you know? Yeah, it's absolutely huge. That real empathy, that making it clear that it's coming from a place of understanding. I want to understand you. That's going to build that bridge to communication. And and Kristen mentioned stress. We talked about stress earlier. Our teens are under stress. They're under pressure. I'm meeting a lot of kids who are convinced that, you know, junior high kids, I have to go to this university. That's a lot of pressure for a grown adult. That's a ton of pressure for a young kid that doesn't have our brain development or our experience as well. Number four. I love this. This may be my favorite one of all of Deronda's tips. And these are all excellent. Number four, give your kids a way out of a risky situation. Agree on a code word that they can text you and you will come and get them no questions asked. Now, no questions asked doesn't mean that if there needs to be accountability or correction or consequences later that you don't do that. What no questions asked means is if they are at a party, they're under the influence. They're about to pass out. They're about to get in a vehicle with someone behind the wheel who's under the influence. All that matters in that moment is their health and their safety. Keep them alive. There will be time later for correction. The way this works, and kids like this because they can use this, teens can use this without it looking like they're being rescued by a parent. So you agree on a code word with your teen that they can text you, and it can look like absolute nonsense. That way if a peer sees it, it doesn't look like, hey, mom, I need you to come get me. Dad, I need you to come get me. It's a word that you agree on. If somebody else sees it, it looks like gibberish or nonsense or whatever. You receive it as a parent, and you know what that means. So you then immediately call your teen's phone because you need to find out where they are. You may not know where they are. 
And I've seen families approach this where the parent calls and the parent says, you had six chores you were supposed to do tonight. None of them are done. Where are you? And then the teen can save face and say to their peers, oh, my mom's so lame. I'm in so much trouble now. It's about the parent at that point. Mm-hmm. Or I knew one family that took this to the point of when the parent gets the code, they call back and they say, your aunt is in the hospital. We got to go to the ER now. Where are you? I need to come get you. So whatever you can customize that to do, that's how that works. What are your thoughts on this? Well, I've, I've done my fair share of rescues already. And I, I think that for me, the, the code word is key. Um, I think that sometimes my kids have put themselves in messy situations that, like you said, we have to process and, and understand how we got to that point. Um, but the fact that they can call me and that I'm going to follow through with, um, I'm not going to ground you. I just want you alive and safe. And I, I have to bring it up every weekend. I, I think if we go back to that impulsive brain and peer pressure and, again, all the, the protected protection that I put in front of them, I still need to be adamant every single weekend. It's That's important. A, a relentless There effort. needs to be a repetition of that message. A few mm-hmm. tips back, we talked about being clear on expectations and rules. We, we will say to ourselves as parents, I know that I've already told you this 10 times. In behavioral health, in prevention, there's something known as dosage. There mm-hmm. needs to be a repetition of a message in order for it to sink into that adolescent brain. I know there are parents listening to this, and I can guarantee you that you have found yourself at one point telling your teen six times to take the garbage out. And you're saying to yourself, I know I already told you this. The same thing applies with these prevention messages, these messages to keep them safe and keep them healthy. And that's, I mean, that's so brilliant. Keep repeating that. They need to hear that regularly. And I'll get an eye roll. I will get eye rolls of mom, (laughs) mom, I heard you. But ironically, um, those situations, they're going to find themselves in because that's life. It's the life of having a teenager. They're going to end up in situations they're not comfortable with. So they have to be able to ask for my help. Um, and, and I think being present in, in those situations or sometimes, you know, I do monitor my kids um, and I will check their location to see if it matches where they told me they were going. Um, and that's not helicoptering. That's monitoring mm-hmm. and keeping them safe because they, they could end up diverting from the course. Um, I think sleepovers are a big thing, too. Knowing exactly where your child's ending up at a sleepover. Mine have diverted. Or they've organized the orchestrated these amazing plans where everybody says they're somewhere and then they're they're nowhere um, to be found. So monitoring is a huge piece to hold them accountable. And I've met both your sons. They're amazing kids, but they are teenagers. Absolutely. And 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 the the name of the organization, not my kid. It's I I cannot emphasize enough to parents. Please do not detach from the warning and the information and say, my son's a great kid. My daughter's a great kid. They're talented, honor students, student athletes, leadership, whatever. I believe it. But the best, most amazing kids still have that teenage brain and they can make impulsive decisions. I was, I got great grades in school. Adults looked at me and said, he's really intelligent. I was intelligent. And I made a bunch of very regrettable decisions. Yeah, and I, I think one of the things that I also want to share with parents is, you know, this transition that Tomas, you and I are in between it. When a kid turns 12, um, pretty much they will start to turn their back. I think it's a very natural part of adolescence. And after a while, when a kid keeps pushing, sometimes a parent will take that signal of, well, they, they don't want me in their life anymore. And my message to you is that your child needs you now 
more than ever. So when they push, let just know that's normal, but stick with it. Don't give up. A lot of parents start to put their hands up and say, we're just not connected anymore and disengage. And this is the time now more than ever that they need you. Absolutely. They, they need to know that we are on their team. Anytime that I go in a conversation with him, I want him to know that it's not mom and dad against him. No, it's us as a family against what, again, pop culture or just the culture in general is saying is okay. And that if it doesn't match up with our values, then we've got to look at that and, and say, you know, ask ourselves as a team, as son, mother, and father, how are we going to stay true to our values when this is the, what the culture says? One last thing I will add on this as far as no questions asked when you pick them up. You heard Taylor's story in episode two. Taylor's mom, Pam, will come and speak sometimes at our Project Rewind sessions. And she's mentioned using this, this uh, giving them a way out, using the code word with Taylor's sisters. She shares this story with parents. And she mentions with Taylor's sisters, when they took her up on this, she said, not only did I not ask any questions, when I picked them up, I didn't say anything at all. And that silence was so powerful. Oh, yeah. And she said, that silence drove them nuts. Within five minutes, they were telling me everything I would have asked about had I asked any questions. Absolutely. So sometimes the power is not in our words. It's in that silence that we allow. Mm -hmm. Number five, decide on consequences together. Ask your teen, what do you think the consequence should be if you break these rules that we're setting down? Let me lighten the conversation. (laughs) I'm going to cut in on you. Please do. I've had the situation before where they've gotten in the car and they just hand me their phone. (laughs) So (laughs) it really does work. And, uh, you know, in our Project Rewind program too, Kelly York, our resource director, she's really set the tone on the C's, take away the C's, the cash, the car, the credit card, the cell phone. Um, Those things are powerful, but have them bought into it before um, it, it is such a critical piece that literally I don't have to ask sometimes and they just hand it and fine, you know, but we bounce back from those mistakes. That also shows that you've been sticking with that so long that it's just understood at this point. Like that's that deeply ingrained. It's like, I know how this works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when we have families uh, create their family prevention plan with with the packets that we hand them out after every single presentation on there, we 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 have them create this plan as first off with the adults, but then when they introduce this to their their children, asking them, what would you want to add to this? Because that gives them some skin in the game. That makes them feel like, hey, I was a part of of setting the foundation of what we're going to be moving forward. So again, it, it just has that tone of, hey, we are a family. It's not us against you. We're working through this together. It's collaborative. If you let them be part of the process, you're going to get more buy-in from them. It's going to feel like less dictated to them. Um, parents sometimes hear this as far as letting them pick some of their own consequences. And sometimes this sounds counterintuitive. I've had parents say, I'm supposed to let them pick their own consequence until you realize they may suggest something and you hear it as a parent and you say, oh, yeah, oh, Oh, yeah, that's way better than what I came up with because Mm. we as adults look at big picture consequences like felonies, organ damage, brain damage, all these things. Sometimes teens can separate from those things and disconnect and say, well, that's never going to happen to me. I said that exact same thing. Pretty much everyone I know in recovery Mm -hmm. said that same thing. Often what resonates with them are the immediate short-term consequences that click in the world that they live in. And as Mm -hmm. Kristen mentioned, Kelly York, our resource director, calls them the C's. 
credit card, cash, cell phone, curfew, computer, car. Oh, you came up with a whole bunch more. <laughs> I, there's a couple more in there. Yeah. And actually, some parent came up with another C one night in Project Rewind. I, I'm trying to remember what it was. It was another great one to add to the list. If they can make that immediate cause and effect association, when I come home high, I come home drunk, my curfew gets moved from 11 to 7 p.m., I don't like how this feels. I shouldn't do this thing that causes this to happen. Sometimes if there's an immediate short-term consequence that's uncomfortable enough, that can create change. People often ask me, what would have made a difference to you? What would have stopped you early on? If there had been something where I would gotten caught and something had been uncomfortable enough in the short term, that may have gotten me to stop. But because I thought I was getting away with it for as long as I as I thought I was, I was like, oh, no, I'm, I'm free and clear. And it wasn't until the bottom completely fell out that I finally did realize that there had been some issues. Number six, and our last tip here, keep communication lines open. Whatever you do, maintain communication with your teen. Even if they are raising their voice to you, which is not ideal, we don't want it. That is preferable to a teen completely shutting down communication and disconnecting entirely. That can be a very scary place to be. Yeah, absolutely. One of the big things in life skills when we're having these conversations with students, one of the big conversations is even just how to communicate, you know, how they can spark that conversation. And it's it's interesting because before even having that communication conversation, there's a lesson on managing stress, anger, and other emotions, just managing emotions in general. And we talk about triggers. We talk about, you know, triggers that that may spark some positive or, or more comfortable feelings, and then some uh, some triggers that may spark some uncomfortable feelings. And so when we think about then as a parent, if I'm being totally honest with you all, I know parents, you listening, you might feel the same way as I do. When I'm asked the question, why? Woohoo, is that a trigger? Man, I'm like, I, I automatically want to go to because I said so, or, or, you know, just get it done, or so on and so forth. And now, th- th- this is where I benefit as a parent from going and teaching life skills time and time again to teens, because that, that means also, it's in the level of accountability for me at home, right? So in keeping that, that communication open, I've got to see his question of why and understand that that's an opportunity to realize that we're keeping that line of communication open. And sometimes I may need to reiterate it one more time, uh, give him another dosage of it and, and let him know that he, that I want him to come and keep having the conversation with me. Because if he comes to you with that question of why, and he gets an unsatisfactory answer, he's going to be hesitant to come back to you and open up with that in the future. And that answer of, because I told you so, I get, especially with a six and a half year old, I get how tempting it is to use that. But I think about me as an adult, if somebody gave me that answer, I'd be like, that's not an answer. Yes, they're children, but they're also still people. And we need to model that level of respect that we're asking them to show to others children actually do deserve an explanation. And if they understand your reasoning behind a rule or something like that, they're more likely to be able to comply with that as well. What are your thoughts on keeping communication lines open? Well, I think one of the biggest things for me as I have a 16, almost 17-year-old, and I think parents that are listening that have a teen that's a junior or a senior, you're starting to have a lot more conversation about trust. And I think that's a big one that I want to 
make sure that we're addressing is that we have to let them go out there and do things in the world that um, they're going to navigate on their own. They're going to make mistakes. We need to understand how they're going to bounce back from adversity. What are they going to do in situations that are stressful and they have to make decisions, you know, whether or not they're going to use or what they're going to partake in you know, what they're looking at online, what they're participating in. And a big one that my kids are always asking for is for me to trust them because, you know, I am starting to loosen the reins a little bit. Uh, I think it's important because, you know, in two years they're going to be gone. They're going to be going off to college. They're going to be making decisions and they need to know how to navigate that stuff without me. So I, I think that that's an important piece is give them the reins a little, loosen the reins um, to, to, you know, to a degree. I, I know sometimes I have to pull back on that, do check-ins. I still monitor, but I do want them to know that I trust them until they give me a reason not to. And that's a, an important message as well. Explain to them if they have done something to compromise your trust, explain that that compromised your trust. We do a thing in Project Rewind called a temperature check. We'll have an opportunity where parents have dialogue with the teens that they came in with. And we'll have the parents tell the teen on a level of 1 to 10, 10 being perfect, 1 being very low, where is their level of trust for their child based on the situation that brought them to Project Rewind or anything else that's going on. And it goes back to the setting the correct expectations related to drugs and alcohol, being clear on your thoughts on it. We often assume, oh, no, she knows how I feel about what happened. Sit down, take one minute, take five minutes, and give them that level of 1 to 10. Be deliberately clear with them where things are. Tomas, thoughts on keeping communication lines open? Yeah, when I think about all of these tips, really, what I'm what I'm reminded of is is boundaries. You know, I, I heard something recently, and uh, I'm going to try not to butcher it, but people in Miami love the water. You know, they they go out and it, there's there's beautiful beaches, uh, big beautiful blue waves and white sand, all the way up until the hurricane get gets there. Then the water isn't so beautiful when it's in your living room. And the only thing that makes the difference is boundaries. And so when we're having these conversations of of what our expectations are, when we're having conversations of what the consequences are, and we're having them with them, they they help us to, to put those boundaries up. And their jobs as teens is to push the boundaries. That's just, you know, that's the nature of it. And so us as, as parents, we're, we're to hold them, we're to hold those boundaries up, but also continue with those conversations because they, at, with that dosage of letting them know these are the boundaries, that conversation continues to remind them as well. And I love how, how Kristen, you mentioned, you know, letting, letting off the range just a little bit. That, that it, it's really scary even for a teen even for a teen if they've if they've had the reins so tightly wrung on them their whole teenage years and then all of a sudden they go off to college or they're 18 and they're out of the house and now they have free reign oh wow they're they're experiencing all of that on their own now whereas when we can celebrate those 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 uh, downfalls, those hiccups, those those moments of man uh, I, I made the p- a poor choice mom dad then those are those moments that we can we can kind of celebrate those because we can we can deal with them together, you know, in the home before they become that adult, that 18, 19 year old that is now outside of the house as well. And that's, you know, that a lot of times I'm just reminded boundaries make a huge, huge difference. 
When you talk about them pushing buttons, that reminds me of one more very important thing on this tip. Even if they come in hot, even if your teen comes in emotionally charged up, they're raising their voice, they're worked up, don't meet them where they are at. Maintain your tone of voice, your body language, your facial expressions, regulate your volume, your meter of your speech, your pitch. Depending on the research you read, as much as 93% of the message that is conveyed is not in our words, it's in our nonverbals. And that sounds exaggerated until you think of the fact that you can repeat the same phrase. It can be the phrase, I, I love you. And if you say it two different ways, one way it's going to come across as I love you, and the other way it's going to come across as anything but that. If you mm. are using a certain tone, a certain pitch, a certain volume, et cetera, there is great – uh, there are some amazing tutorials on the internet, free tutorials on verbal de-escalation techniques. Yes, I'm advocating that parents implement a skill used by law enforcement. It can work. I've had it used on me. I knew it was being used on me, and it actually still worked. Mm -hmm. Kristen, what would you like to add? I, I think the the final piece, and just what you're saying, Shane, is that the there is a need for parents to also take care of themselves in this journey of raising teenagers and tweens and children. There's a lot of stress with it, um, a lot of unknown. A lot of times when my kids get worked up and you know, I'll find myself just humbling myself saying, I've never done this before. I've never raised a 16-year-old, mm -hmm. so you gotta bear with me. You know, and, and that's the part from the very beginning of the podcast when I was sharing that there's nothing more humbling than going through it and, and being a parent um, and you love this child so much and you don't want them to get hurt and you want them to be safe. You know, I, I think of Barry Atkins. He's a gentleman that we absolutely will plan to have on. But, you know, sometimes when I just, you know, get vulnerable with them and say, my, I love you. My number one job is to keep you alive and help you navigate this life safely. And so a lot of times when they see me break down those walls of, you know, that challenge of parenting a teen, who's right, who's wrong. Um, and sometimes I don't have the answer. And just that quiet, is important, but we're under a lot of stress as parents. You know, a lot of us are working sometimes more than one job. Um, there's a lot going on every single day. And, you know, there's a joke in my home sometimes between my husband and I, of how do people do it? You know, and I, and I have two kids. I, I know people that have like five, uh, actually three, four of our staff have four and five children. Geronda has four. <laughs> right. <laughs> Suzu's got five. You know, Laura's got four. Kira's got five. You know, Rock stars. I don't even know how they do it. I've got how one. <laughs> do people do it? Um, and so it's make sure you're taking care of yourself as a parent too um, because you're also going to be modeling something important. Our kids are always watching. When you said, you know, that you've said to your, to your, to your son's, I've never done this before. I've never had a 15-year-old. I've never had a 16-year-old. It's all new to you. To the parents out there, I want to encourage you. Nobody has all of the answers. We have met people from every walk of life, every vocation, who are still going through the same challenges that you are. Being in behavioral health, being in medicine, uh, being a psychologist doesn't exclude you from going through these trials and tribulations. I've met people who work in law enforcement who are going through substance use issues with their kids. If you are going through it, you are not alone. It doesn't mean that there's something wrong with your child or something that you failed as a parent. It requires action and it requires communication, but I want to encourage you, you are by no means alone. We literally meet parents every single day that are in that same situation. So before we finish, anything that you'd like to close with? 
Yeah, I think I think the biggest thing is is stay encouraged. Know that we're all in it together. And uh, like like I said earlier in the podcast as well, to other people's kids, I am I'm I'm such a cool guy. To my own son, I'm just dad. You know, and so um, there's probably someone here that's listening that my son would look up to a lot more at times than than myself. And I'm okay with that. I've got to put my ego aside. I've got to put that pride aside. And so know that we're all in it together. That's what we as an organization, we it's a it's a privilege and it's a pleasure of ours to be in that conversation with you all. Mm-hmm. And I think the last part that I would lead is that um, with is it's not easy. Um, but I also want to speak to the parents. If, if your gut alarm is going off and you think your child is, is heading down the wrong path, seek help now. Don't wait. I, I think that a lot of times, you know, even Shane, when you were talking about the not my kid, um, you know, when I get out there and I'm speaking in front of parents, that's right. Make sure it's not my kid and you're saying it with confidence and you're doing something about it. Um, and you're in action and you're seeking solutions, your gut alarm is your number one protective factor as a parent. And I'll close with this. Like you said, take action if you see it. If your child is going through a behavioral health issue, they are not broken. You are not a failure as a parent. We would not be ashamed if we had to take our child to the ER for a broken leg. If someone is going through a behavioral health issue, it is not a failure of morality. It is a behavioral health issue issue emphasis on health. I understand that sometimes we worry about what if the neighbors know, what if other people find out, but I've met families who've lost a child to addiction and have said, I wish I didn't care what people were going to think, and I wish I hadn't ignored the signs that I saw. Yes. Kristen, Tomas, this has been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Win This Year. We would like to thank Kristen Polin and Tomas Barraza for their time and insight. As always, we want to give you three resources. If you are struggling with thoughts of suicide or you are helping someone who is, there is hope. There is help out there. Number one, the Suicide Prevention Lifeline. It is 1-800-273-8255. That is 1-800-273-TALK. Teen Lifeline can be reached at 1-800-248-8336. That's 1-800-248-TEEN. And the Crisis Text Line can be reached by texting the word LISTEN to 741-741. Once again, text the word LISTEN to 741-741. All of these resources are 24-7-365. They are free and they are anonymous. If you need help, please reach out. If you've enjoyed this episode of Win This Year, you have questions or comments you'd like to suggest a future topic or guest, you can email us at winthisyear at notmykid.org. Once again, winthisyear at notmykid.org. All of our social media links will be provided in the show notes along with the suicide prevention resources mentioned earlier. If you've enjoyed Win This Year, please be sure to like us on social media, subscribe, and spread the word. Win This Year can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and nearly everywhere else that podcasts can be found. Thank you so much for listening to Win This Year. I'm Shane Watson, Prevention Specialist and Public Information Officer for Not My Kid. We will see you next week with our guest, Ruth Carter, speaking on cyberbullying prevention for youth. Thank you for listening to Win This Year.